Welcome to Mobius Theory Spaceport. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> Alright. Here we go. I'm here with um, my next guest who needs no introduction. I think. I, I've always been here. Yeah. He is Mr. Haunt, and he can be found at mrhaunt.com. Tell us, well, let me let me start again. Um, Mr. Haunt is a good friend of mine. We've known each other all our lives, but we met somewhat recently. We have a kind of a, a crisscross of paths and history where we most likely have met several times in our endeavors and travels through New York City growing up in the 90s and early aughts. And he currently remains in the area. Um, I moved away. We stay in touch. He's helped uh, with a lot of things related to my business, this podcast, the spaceport events, um, you name it. Um, he is a true creative professional. He is a a wonderful woman. <laughs> here is here is Mr. Haunt. Greetings, Earthlings. You sound again as usual, uh, fantastic and chipper. Supple, even. Yes. Um, okay. Let's just let's just get let's just get right into it. Um, this is this is to be the second episode, uh, and you'll be no doubt a recurring guest. Uh, dare I say, co-host? I don't want to pressure you too much, but um, oh no, it's a, I'm already co-hosting. It's too late. Um, you have a lot going on, but um, as Mr. Haunt exists, um, your your busiest time of year is, um, ooh, you would say later half. Like like many people, like many business persons, um, the later half of the year is is busier. But you're always busy. I want That's to true. know. I want to know more about your day and your life, and so would the listener. Why don't you oh, uh, go ahead? Well, uh, I wake up, I have coffee. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of coffee do you drink? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I've had a, a lifelong passion for uh, mostly all things Halloween and horror and haunted attractions. Um, meaning not, um, not real ghosts, but, uh, you know, Halloween haunted hayrides and actors and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, you know, now my, my father raised me on classic black and white universal horror movies and, you know, and, and uh, horror literature. And, um, yeah, I, I just like it. Was, I was immersed in it, uh, from a very early age always had an appreciation for it and, and uh you know that grew into a a greater love of, of counterculture in general and um you know i've spent my my entire life just seeking out weird things and different things and, and i'm just uh you know always looking for different experiences and uh, more th things that are interesting and or unusual um, how does that translate beyond just the Halloween season? And I want to preface, since uh, if, if I may, because uh, 
and I want to clarify or kind of give a little bit more insight because this is all still part of um, our own personality building here for the early episodes. But um, by by past experiences and paths that I mentioned in New York City, um, that is, for the most part for me, was uh, within the goth community in New York City. Um, so it becomes a little bit of a... Of a of a thing to take for granted, you know, Halloween, um, because that's just part of the culture year round for many of us at the time. Um, exactly. Um, but for someone who's not just knee deep in that, what what does that translate to outside of Halloween for for normal people? Like, what kind of what well, what do you you know what does Mister Haunt do outside of October? Right, right. So, I mean, you know, obviously there's that, that natural inclination towards the goth scene and towards, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm also a huge music buff, but I also love um, goth music, which is, you know, darker and, you know, some would say gloomier than regular music. And, and these are people uh, that like to uh, dress in, in black all year or dress, you know, um, a little more fancy. Um, there's, you know, subcultures, as we all know, uh, of the goth scene. There are people that are into vampire culture. Um, you know, Andy and I have both been to countless uh, vampire balls and uh, parties in the New York City in the, in the 90s. Um, and then these go on all year. These are people that really uh, appreciate uh, that scene and that culture. And you know, I you know, I think a lot of people would watch, for example, horror movies all year. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think of more people. There's certainly a, a large number of of people that do enjoy all types of things all year and actually live that life. And that their homes and apartments are adorned as if you know, uh, the average person would walk in, they'd think they were in a a haunted house or something. You know, decorated with spiders and cobwebs and black chandeliers and what have you right um you mentioned uh cobwebs and so funny just a little bit of a tying this to personal tangent when i when i frequented and still if i if i go to a, a goth event granted memphis doesn't have a huge scene compared to um new york or miami or atlanta by virtue of its size which is fair enough um but in in those in those instances my my mo or my my dress or my kind of approach and style was a, a more minimal it wasn't really um uh, anything too crazy like a, it was a lot of just black but it wasn't you know you might have just thought i would be a a rock and roller or something it wasn't anything crazy you know a leather a leather wristband or just an all black kind of kind of garb with boots what have you um so when i what was what's interesting is looking at your aesthetic you actually aren't you know by and large your personality is not like scary (laughs) for you know for lack of a better (laughs) right you actually have a you you smile a lot in your photographs i'm a huggy bear you you hug which you know i will say um there was there were a lot of um variations and personalities even in the golf scene you know there were For people sure. that 
that wore pink, that liked Hello Kitty, that smiled a lot, and they just happened to <laughs> embrace, um, which is, we'll get into that, what that means, but um, explain your aesthetic and why it's not, you're not just necessarily wearing a Cthulhu mask all the time. Right, right. Well, you know, <coughs> pardon me, it's, it's, uh, I guess that it goes into my, my eclectic taste. I mean, that's not all I'm about. It's certainly my, probably my number one passion, but that doesn't mean I have to look like that. And I, you know, I also have a day job and a family. And I also, you know, by day I'm a mild mannered suburban dad, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, growing up in my youth and, and sometimes, you know, for special events and at night and weekends, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a hundred percent Mr. Haunt. And I, uh, I never felt the need personally to get overly adorned. Um, you know, uh, now just for, you know, for branding sake, uh, at least I love wearing my steampunk hat and goggles and frequently walk around with my skull cane, who's affectionately named George. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll throw, you know, a black blazer over whatever I'm wearing at the time, which is usually jeans and a t-shirt. And, uh, um, you know, I do love, uh, you know, steampunk and steampunk events. And that's a, you know, it's not too far uh, it's not really unrelated to goth. It's then you know it's almost like a you know, a cousin to it, and I think you know. So you know, I I know you put me down as um I'm I'm often called not just a haunt evangelist but a, a culture vulture because I I do like exploring all different forms of of culture and counterculture. So it's not just a you know I'm not just a I'm not just one thing. Never have been. Even though that's my, my main passion, I still have so many other interests in life. So it's hard to, you know, just be anything but myself. Yeah, and I hate to um, stereotype or generalize, although sometimes it's it makes it easy to do so in in, in a appropriate context. But um, a lot of goths were really well rounded in terms of culture when I when I was part, you know, being part of the scene, like you'd you'd have conversations and sometimes it would be anything but talking about, you know, Bauhaus and Yeah. Uh, the you know, Halloween movies. But um, you know, there's a eighties were a strong part of and not just gothy new wave eighties, but just you know, eighties were just a big part of a, a culture that were embraced um by that community. Um you know, just kind of cheesy things, uh, alien sci-fi, that type of thing. And you yeah, mentioned steampunk. Sure. Yeah, and I and I'm just curious from a from a creative standpoint, just like how things tie together um, in terms of inspiration and creativity. Why do you think steampunk has such a tie, albeit a loose one, to a a darker aesthetic like the haunt world? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question, actually, and, and and you bring up a very good point because you know there are a lot of really incredible intellectuals in the goth scene and in the steampunk scene, and, and they're as diverse as any other scene, uh, really. And and you know, I, I, it's you know, some people jokingly call steampunk brown goth, which, <laughs> which is funny if you think about it, but it's really separate and different. But you know, and I'd say something like steampunk even originated from 18th century um, literature i should sorry sorry 19th century literature you know from the 1800s and a lot of uh literature in england that was you know uh 
you know, it kind of looks at retrofuturism and saying like, what well, what would the future be like if it were, you know, if the people that were writing science fiction in the 1800s were correct? What if everything was powered by steam? You know, what if we had steam powered laptops, for example? And so it's a, you know, it's a, just a fascinating and fun way to, you know, look at the world and think about things. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, one of the popular authors back then um, that wasn't British, but American was H.P. Lovecraft. And, um, you know, I think a lot of steampunk is inspired by uh, stories of Cthulhu and, and uh, you know, mix that up with, uh, you know, some of the cool things that you see in, uh, you know, the Time Machine and H.G. Wells and, and uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. You know, you could start listing all these amazing authors that all were writing around the same time in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the Victorian era. And um, and that's really where the steampunk genre has flourished from and now has become, you know, a a scene in itself and where people actually dress like that. And and, uh, a lot of what's fun about it is the whole DIY aesthetic. People are making their own costumes and and it's just really it's a it's a a happy and and loving culture that people are so friendly and so diverse and and so interesting to talk to and um you know that does kind of you know you, you could connect it to the goth scene which you know it being a it's counterculture b they have similar interests in things like monsters and cthulhu and and you know they both like dressing up differently, so and there's a you know you can draw a lot of you know kind of little lines to uh, to how those cultures do relate to some extent. It's almost steampunk's almost almost like a natural progression of the goth scene. I know f- several former goths that have uh, embraced the steampunk scene. Yeah, it's interesting talking about. Um the aesthetics of a various goth and it's not just you know looking like the the crow but but there's also you know i guess another way to say what i would have labeled my own style as would have been more um not quite romantic romantic goth although that's a thing that's that's a little bit more um you know renaissance there's renaissance influences there's just also victorian influence influences which is you know ties into the steampunk thing which is uh you know victorian era england lends itself strongly to that aesthetic because it's uh you know simpler more pared down things were darker um just by virtue of not having electricity i guess this is like one way to to put it but um can you you mentioned. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying this just because it, it's it's almost challenging for me to think about this without just taking all of it for granted, just because it's such a strong part of what we both grew up with. But um, you know, in terms of like trying to be informative for you know a listener, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go backwards. And we're not trying to be a comprehensive description of what goth is or where it came from and not that what you do is specifically goth but because it you know everything starts to fuse together um it's interesting to look at um what can you uh, you i i would say you are pretty much uh 
more and as far as everyone i know you're you're as much of an expert on hp lovecraft as uh as anyone um can you do you have anything to say about what what he is who he is uh, sure i mean uh, you know he's a very influential author i, I mean uh, unfortunately many people haven't even heard of him um outside of our scene but um he's the guy that inspired stephen king for example everybody's heard of stephen king stephen king's had more you know <clears throat> horror movie adaptations of his book than any other author and um hp lovecraft was um um born in the late 1800s and lived into the early 1900s um lived in uh, both in the new england and uh new york city he lived in red hook brooklyn for a time um, and he had a rough life a uh, very smart guy with a very rough life his father died when he was young and he um basically just took his depression and uh and, and a lot of bad things happened to him in his life you know his, his wife passed away all kinds of like you know this house in Brooklyn was broken into. I mean, he was very, um, a very sad and, and lonely and, and angry man. Um, and, and he had his issues. He was a racist. And, you know, it's important to note that, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it's important to note that, I think. But he, um, he just would write that his, his vice was just writing uh, all these really insightful and, and wonderful um uh, short stories and books uh and, and and he would tie them all together into this universe of of different you know uh old gods and and uh, you know powerful uh massive beings that had the power to just destroy everything that we know and love and could just easily end the planet and it's just this idea of of how small we are in our universe and how how fragile we are and how how quickly this could all go away and um and 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 just like the this theme that a lot of these gods are just so unbelievable that the human brain can't even comprehend what they're taking in and and it just will descend us into madness if we tried so it's uh <clears throat> really really uh you know i i love his works uh you know other authors have tried to add to the cthulhu mythos which is a pretty cool thing and um and that's pretty much in a nutshell hp lovecraft do you think that um in your opinion well i want to say that as a personal as a personal rule that i've had for a very 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 long time the separation of the artist and the person um is is necessary for me for the most part because having gone to an art school and 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 knowing a lot about how the musicians and artists behind the work they create almost all of them are problematic in some ways so, not to suggest they're all racist or truly evil people but um in terms of hp lovecraft's work you do you feel like any of that personal viewpoint translates into the text or is it quote safe? Well, uh, for the most part, it doesn't. He's written some certain pieces that were non-horror that are just um, outrageously offensive, but 
most of his horror stuff, it doesn't really translate into it. Um, and that is important to try and separate the work from the artist, but you know, it still has to be known. And that's a difficult subject. It's, it's hard to answer for everybody. And you're right. I mean, you know, there's <laughs> throughout history and today, even currently, there's just so many artists and musicians and what have you that, are, you know, have, you know, uh, offensive personal issues. And, um, uh, it's it's very hard sometimes to separate the art from the person yeah yeah and i think um just as a personal tangent i think that the way this is something i think about but the way branding and brands have become or or, or need to become a lot more personal in our day and like basically in the 21st to mid 21st century um that we do find like that association is important. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, not that I am, but I, you know, we couldn't act the way someone might have even 50 years ago, 30 years ago today, because it's who you are. So tied to your, your brand. Um, but I think, you know, back then I, it's kind of a long subject. I don't need to, I don't mean to get into that, but um I think that's why people have a hard time separating uh, the person um, from the from the art. But I but I yeah. I feel like if you do that, you're gonna have very little things left. Oh, that's exactly right, and that's the problem. So it's it's really you know um, I always say my mantra is is to, you know the the only way to really take in any form of art is with with blinders on, with callous disregard to what other people think and, and what the artist thinks. And, yeah. You know, just that, you know, if you like it, that, that that's the only thing that matters, whether or not you like it. So, you know, yeah, you don't have to know about the artist's personal problems and you don't have to know about whether it's popular or unpopular. It's all irrelevant. If you like it, you like it. Good for you. Let it, let it inspire you. Well, I want to ask about uh, the cliches and, and this is all kind of tying back to the creative process because, uh, like, you know, almost more more things than we ever realize are truly creative. Even if we kind of dismiss it collectively, we'll say, oh, I'm not a creative person. I don't write or I don't paint. But just simply the act of getting dressed for a goth night, for example, is far more creative than, you know, a lot of, to be honest, a lot of painters aren't don't even have that kind of um, expansion of mind and, 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 and so forth. But how do you... The, the cliches are there. Um, how do you avoid or approach that? Like, how do you just avoid being too cliche? And that, that ties into a second question is, um, well, I'll wait for that because it had to do with your your Santa Claus outfit, which I know you, <laughs> I think that would be a great thing to, to share. Yeah, for sure. Um well, I mean, so cliche in terms of what? Not looking like every other goth or? Well, like in terms of like, well, the cliches with Halloween are really okay. obvious. Like the, the spider, the jack-o'-lantern. And if someone says, well, you spend, I, I don't I don't know, but I'm assuming that someone who has very little understanding of the haunt industry that you're part of would think, oh, you just work you know, on Halloween and you dress up as a ghost and you hand out, like, what more can there be? Like, how could you? Right. And while well, this ties into, you know, kind of my mission statement with Mr. Haunt is, is 
you know, making people aware that of the, the, the artistry and the passion that goes into these haunted attractions. I mean, we have Hollywood level costume designers, Hollywood level makeup artists, Hollywood level script writers. I mean, some of these haunt owners pump millions of dollars every year and they have, you know, top Broadway and Hollywood actors performing in these haunts. And, and it's really uh, an incredibly legitimate form of entertainment. And I think, you know, uh, historically, you know, a lot of haunts have been just like what you said, uh, you know, teenagers popping out with a sheet over their head yelling boo and you're walking through, uh, you know, black plastic bags as walls and it's, it's you know, uh, kind of cheesy and horrible. And uh, most good haunts are no longer like that at all. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people still have that as their vision of what a haunted attraction is. And it's, it's really not. So I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to get out there, do your research, find your good local haunted house. And, you know, they're so good that people travel they jump on a plane to go to some of these haunts. That's how incredible some of these are and how, how worthwhile and how just incredibly artistic, how incredibly passionate the actors and the workers are at these haunts. And I think that's, you know, that absolutely is exactly um, how I live my life and how I choose yeah. to dress. And uh, that's, you know, how you avoid the cliches. You know, there's a lot of originality out here how much um you mentioned a number recently to me i just want you to share what how much uh how much money we're talking about well i mean the halloween industry uh pre-covid at least was i mean approaching nine billion dollars a year wow nine billion with a b and and a large amount of that money is spent on haunted attractions wow it's catching up with christmas as the number one holiday for retailers and for consumers, you know, and, that, and that's what's, you know, more to me, I, I do love Christmas, but I love Halloween even more because it's more universal. It's not a religious uh, holiday. It's more about, you know, yeah. everybody experiences fear in a different way. And everybody, you know, some people love going to it because they love the adrenaline rush, and, you know. <clears throat> yeah. It's just, uh, it's just incredible. I mean, it's not, you know, to me, a good haunt isn't about, somebody jumping out and giving you a startle scare it's really about you know uh, delving deep into your psyche what are your yeah yeah that's a well-done haunt can do that very well and 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 and, you know it's uh i'm just so (laughs) so enamored with them it's hard to to you know i think the danger the problems with a lot of holidays is when people don't deep dive enough and they when they see things on the surface and that same is true for christmas um but you know, and I like, I like Christmas a lot. Uh, it's one of my favorite holidays, too. But I think, you know, admittedly, I feel like a lot of people have a lot of cynicism with Christmas for whatever reason, whether it's family trauma or or just obligation or just a reaction to how glossed over other people can make it. And I think that doesn't necessarily exist as much, if at all, with Halloween. It's a little bit more of a yeah, yeah, right, right. Halloween isn't about getting together uh, as an obligation with nasty relatives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you're right. It doesn't come with a, a lot of the negative connotations that, that Christmas does. So we came up, we had a discussion uh, somewhat recently that was a really great 
creative brand talk and something that I like to talk about or think about a lot is is brand is branding and um, personality and how you know especially avoiding cliches or avoiding being uh, direct and how do you allude to something without being overt and that's always a, a sweet spot and, and really hard to do and I think that like a lot of brands you want to be able to do that effectively and carefully so you're not just you know if I if I open up a pet food well you know it's just I'm trying to think of examples but it's really hard to um, avoid kind of these kind of cliches so what we talked about was your Santa outfit and and we we were talking about some really great things on on mood and feel of an of an image without being overt like little subtle things um do you right do you feel like you want to give away what you're yeah for sure you're, you're, uh, well i should say you you also are santa claus that's another one of your jobs i am santa claus you've outed me <laughs> <laughs> my fan mail is going to get crazy at this point yeah and, and you've you've <laughs> since fired will ferrell he he didn't work out it didn't work out he's a little too over the top <laughs> he's a little much <laughs> but he, it's true he does know me anyway um <laughs> so yeah so you know i i was i wanted uh you know i i had for years just uh, been wearing uh you know a, a cheap uh party city halloween store santa costume and, uh, you know, I'm a big guy, I'm six foot four. And, and it was really, you know, ill-fitting. Um, yeah, but, you know, as I got more and more requests to, to, to be Santa at different uh, events and venues, I said, you know what, let me, let me make my own Santa suit. Let me, you know, so I, I employed a, a Swiss-trained seamstress uh, to help me out and I designed my own Santa suit. So now my initial idea was like, oh man, I want to be like a steampunk Santa. And then I said, well, wait a minute. I don't, I don't want to scare the children or the parents. Uh, you know, I got to, you know, so the question became, how do I, how do I dress up a traditional Santa suit as much as possible without scaring families? And um, that's when I, I basically came to the realization that as long as I have the major components of the Santa archetype, I could get away with a lot. So as long as I have the colors, red and white, as long as I have a big beard and the hat, you know, uh, I think, I think I could, I could do a lot. So sure enough, you know, it took me the better part of a year, but we, you know, we were able to put together a, a very cool and unique Santa suit that still is obviously Santa to parents and children, but mm-hmm. you know, as uh, also, if you look deeper into it has steampunk elements and has kind of you know a very stylish santa um you know with a couture coat and uh and cool little buckles everywhere and uh you know and i I made myself a like a a santa staff and put some jingle bells on it and uh, you know so just uh, definitely looks uh very cool looking and very imposing you know at my height and it's uh you know the the color red is slightly deeper, and uh, but it's still definitely Santa. And I could you know if I ever wanted to go to a con or something, I could doctor it up to be even more steampunk without, you know, uh, ruining it at all. So, 
Yeah, so that's, that's kind of my approach to uh, avoiding the cliches while still uh, adding my own element of style to something. Yeah, that's great. Those little details are really, um, really important. And it makes sense that Santa would be a, a steampunk because someone who's hand making toys, even if it's video game consoles, um, how is he going to get around? He's not going to use like a fighter jet or something to get, he's got to use some kind of steampunk, steam powered technology i mean it, for sure it's it makes sense absolutely that is that is that is true um who is george and where george where does is, george come from george is is my cane that i bought i want to say it was the first ever steampunk world's fair uh, I had met this guy who has since passed away that was selling these canes that he made with a, a skull on top. And uh, it was a, it can actually double uh, as a, an actual medical cane for my exact height. But it looked so cool uh, that I, I, I bought it very early on when I had first become officially named Mr. Haunt. You know, I've lived this lifestyle my whole life, but I've only been known as Mr. Haunt, you know, for the past handful of years. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So George has his own personality and his own fans, and uh, he accompanies me to most haunts. And it's absolutely part of my brand, my image. Do you have, uh, if you, you would say you have a, a loyal following? I do. How do you maintain or grow or nurture that following well i i appreciate them uh, i treat them like people i don't you know uh, i don't take them for granted and um and i stay true to who i am uh, you know i think that resonates with my fans that you know I, i'm the real deal i'm not fake i'm you know actually into and knowledgeable about the things that i love and um, and that really resonates with fans. I'm not I'm not afraid to uh, walk around in public with a steampunk hat and goggles on. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That's big. I think there were a lot of. This is not a, a bad thing, but um, you know, what I can say in my own opinion about some in the goth community is that sometimes you'd have people who used it as a as an escape, which is totally fine and they would kind of become a different person and only when you would never know day to day that they were into such a scene or whether it was goth or something a little bit more um slightly more extreme like the fetish community or whatever for and for whatever reason they didn't want to be outed so to speak for um but sure so they they just had this persona and this dress and this character um, or just existed in this world, and that was it. And then they they went home and did normal quote no normal things. But there's always also some people who um, went a little further. And you know, talking about some in what we know about the vampire community, um, which is probably another podcast um, uh, that that kind of lived it year round, and 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 were so extreme that they would believe that they were. Uh, something which again is is not a problem but they they just um lived it so you're i would say you're somewhere in the not in the middle but you're somewhere closer to that 
spectrum, but not quite. I mean, like you said, yeah. you, you do have a family. You you do your normal day to day things. Right, and 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 you know, my 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 day job, you know, uh, by and large, has no idea that I'm into this or that I do this, and and yeah, and that's fine. And I think that's you know, to me, it's important that you know, I'm not just one thing. I'm not just. It's okay to have multiple interests and multiple outfits and multiple worlds that yeah. you exist in. That's fine, and that's healthy. It's you know, it's not one does not ever have to be at the expense of another, and that ties right back into you know art and music you know okay yeah i love counterculture and i i love i love strange music i love goth music and i love all kinds of stuff but it's not at the expense of pop music right i like that too right <laughs> you know there's plenty of things i i like and dislike in both forms of music so whether or not it's popular is, is irrelevant you know i i could you know I, I like Sisters of Mercy as much as I, I, you know, could get down to a Britney Spears song. Yeah, same here. And I think speaking of uh, Sisters, um, it reminded me of, I never thought when, I, well, this was a particular job and a particular era where I was most active in it. So it kind of was a perfect storm of, of me wearing black a lot, which to me wasn't the, wasn't indicative of, of who, of, being a part of any kind of community or even counterculture, just, you know, I could have been an architect. If I were in an architect's office, you know, that's kind of like right. there, but since well, Steve jobs wore black a lot, right? Right. Right. <laughs> um, but I was, a, it's funny. I was in a, the, the office I was in at the time was, you know, it's just a little bit more mainstream oriented. So they even, even just being innocuous, like I, or I, how I thought I was dressing and acting was still, call to attention like hey why do you wear black a lot it's kind of like the cliche or the problem the problem uh of asking people to smile you know hey why aren't you (laughs) so it's just it was just funny to me that trying to avoid being um trying to be on the smaller end of that spectrum that i described i still it still was an issue because um people expect sometimes people want you to fit a very narrow hole or want you to be like them, you know, and then it's upsetting when you're not. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Um, how do you, how do you deal with? Do you ever get? Um, your personality is such where you probably, you're not like, susceptible to. Being teased, or are you? Or maybe. Oh, everybody's teased, man. Everybody's teased. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and you know, it doesn't matter where I go or in what scene or what setting, there's always going to be somebody that has something to say. And, and it speaks much more about them than it does to me. Uh, I'm, I'm quick and witty with my jokes. So, you know, I'm very, people learn very quickly that if they want to try and tease me, that they're going to get teased 10 times harder and exposed as the idiot they are. So, um, and I, I think I developed that from a very early age as a, as a defense mechanism of, you know, being able to, you know, yeah. bite back bullies. Well, that's, um, that's a very nice tactic uh, to have learned. I, I, I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly getting it now, but over historically, I've always been like two days later when I'm up at night, realize yeah, right. what I should have said. <laughs> But by and large, I ignore them. You know, it's, it's really not my problem. It's their problem. Right. Right. Do you have any um, 
Any parting words? Any last thoughts? Be nice. Where can we find you? Oh, um, well, uh, the newly formed MrHaunt.com and just uh, search up Mr. Haunt on any social media and poof, there I am. I will. Um, I'm, I'm helping you with the branding. This is true. Can I say that? You sure can. I'm proud of that fact. I just, I'm happy to have your help. You know, this might, I, I want to do, I mean, branding part, as part of creativity is going to be an ongoing discussion on the podcast. And I know we'll talk about that in particular anyway, so I won't need worry about getting into it now. But um, again, it's the challenge. And what I feel is important to do is to not lean on cliches to get your brand across because you are such a personality already. You don't need to make your branding try to compete with you and i feel like it's important to so hopefully you're and and, and we could do a whole nother podcast on minimalism and how that's informed us throughout music and art and culture and branding yes (laughs) (laughs) we should um i probably can have some guests that are um that are a lot that are also knowledgeable knowledgeable about um, minimalism from an art perspective too. We can have a fun little scene here. For sure, okay. that would be fun. Well, thank you for being on here. I think um, the contracted uh, time is about up. Otherwise, I'd, we'd have to involve lawyers <laughs> if we wanted to keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't yeah. do that. My checks in the mail. Um, well, thank you for spending <laughs> your morning with me. And oh, thank you for having me. This is a, a an honor and a pleasure. Oh, it's always fun. You're, it's I, I thought it was important to grab that fly off the wall and put him in the put him put him in the center of the room and give him a microphone. Flying a mic. And with that, haunt out.